1: Arches and Halos, professional brow grooming. Be bold, be you. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn
2: more at Xfinity.com slash XFi.
1: Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com.
3: Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And Caroline, today's topic is one of those that I did not expect to find as much research and (laughs) in-depth investigations on something as simplistic, at least seemingly simplistic, as cuddling.
4: I know. Well, I was not surprised... I totally expected that there would be plenty of first person accounts or anecdotal stories or even think pieces and analysis about who cuddles and why. I didn't expect similarly. I did not expect the actual amount of academic research that's out there.
3: But once I started reading about cuddling and thought about all of the different variations of cuddling, which I gotta say, side note, cuddling is like one of those, uh, like moist words uh, for me. Really? Yeah, cuddle. Really? Cuddle. Why? Cuddling. But why? Is that because you're cuddling a verse? I'm averse to referring to the act of cuddling as cuddling.
4: Does it signify things? As my therapist would say, Kristen, I'm sensing that there's a lot of emotion around this. No, I think I just prefer spooning. (laughs) I think I just don't like the sound of of cuddling. You know, it's similar to how uh, a square is a rhombus, but a rhombus is not a square. You know, spooning can be cuddling, but cuddling doesn't necessarily equate to spooning. And spooning doesn't sound quite as much like the word curdling. (laughs)
3: So I I think that's I think that's what's going on in my brain. (laughs) You're also right there. Yes. Because when I think of cuddling, I automatically think of like cottage cheese
4: and cuddling. I think of Care Bears. Oh, I don't know why. I literally like I've never had what I just said to you out loud. I've never had that concrete thought. But I was like cuddling. Yeah, I just I think of the Care Bears on their little clouds. That's what I think of. We
3: are really unpacking some deep stuff already in this. <laughs> I podcast. know. Why am I paying for therapy? <laughs> Cottage cheese, Care Bears. <laughs> this is incredible. Um, but thinking though about all of these variations of cuddling, snuggie, snugging, snuggying when you put on a snuggie mm. and then you cuddle someone, or snuggling sure. as most people call it. Um, then there's spooning. All these, you know, this kind of intimate, close contact that might seem like frivolous behavior to explore but there really is a lot of gendered hang-ups with it there's a lot of uh, evolutionary theory behind cuddling yeah. um there are lots of social rules around cuddling and new developments in the world of cuddling <laughs> today I can't wait. Yeah. I can't wait to get into this. There, there's a lot. I mean, whether you listeners, whether you are pro cuddling or anti cuddling, there's something in here for everyone. <laughs> what a divide. I know. I hope this is not too controversial for people. Well, it's, it's related to the, are you a hugger or not question? Because some people, not so much huggers. Other people, all about the hug. Always going to go straight
4: in for the hug. Sure. And I, I do find that that relates to the larger personality. I mean, if I don't consider myself a hugger, but there are people that I enjoy hugging. Same with cuddling. I never really considered myself much of a cuddler st- until I started dating boyfriend dog. Yeah, I uh, I consider myself a hearty handshaker. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I'm anxious all the time and my palms get sweaty. I hate
3: handshaking. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't mind a good hug every now and then. Um, but <laughs> you mentioned your boyfriend dog. When I asked uh, my fiance about cuddling, because, of course, I, I needed to get the guy's perspective sure. on the topic because there's a whole stereotyping of men don't like to cuddle, cuddle something. Cuddling is something that only only chicks like to do. yeah, uh, and that in no way is an impression of my fiance. <laughs> but I asked him whether he liked cuddling or or not because we we s- sleep real close. And he said, I was the first. Person he had ever been down to cuddle. Interesting, I know. And I was walking on air for like two days and after you're like, I learned that. But I hate it. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. Oh. And the next day, I was in a really good mood, and he was like, "This is because uh, I told you about the cuddling thing, isn't it?" And I was like,
4: "Maybe a little bit." Yeah, well, it's interesting to see. And I mean, we'll we'll definitely get into all that hard hitting cuddling research in a minute. But it's Very hard hitting. But it is interesting to, to think about it from a personal perspective and, and past relationships and current relationships about how, yeah, it does seem to be related to your larger personality, for instance, whether you're a hugger and in what circumstances, but also your attachment style. There's all this research into whether you are um, an anxiously attached person or a securely attached person or avoidant attachment and whether that means you will cuddle or not. So in terms of the psychology of cuddling and
3: these attachment styles, we can look at it not just in romantic context, but also like platonic Mm -hmm. and familial context as well, because. Probably the very first cuddling that we experience is when we're little babies being being cuddled and snuggled all over the time. Um, and there has been a lot of research on childhood development and cuddling and how it might influence um, attachment styles and also um, outcomes for mm-hmm. kids. And in a piece on cuddling, a very in-depth piece on cuddling and slate written by David Merritt Johns. Um, He looks into the history of our cultural attitudes toward that parent child cuddling.
4: Yeah. And so in the early 20th century, uh, cuddling was thought to be a negative. In in the family context, you you might be making your children too soft or too dependent on you, um, which, of course, made me I say, of course, like you guys know what the heck I'm talking about. But it made me think of my grandmother. Oh, Of course, your my grandmother. Yeah, of course. It made me think of her, too. I know. Well, my dad's mom was a very cold woman. And so, according to family legend, I say that like nobody in my family ever met her uh, was her mother and it was said that my great-grandmother never hugged or cuddled up to my grandmother because she herself had had sort of a traumatic upbringing uh, her mother died at a very young age her stepmother like basically didn't like her um so it is like interesting to see that sort of cultural sadness and unfortunateness passed down. Luckily, my dad was snuggly with me. So Well, and a lot of
3: moms back in the day were advised not to cuddle, especially during the progressive era, around the turn of the century, you have the rise of what's called scientific mothering. And uh, David Merritt Johns, cites this landmark text, The Care and Feeding of Children, by a pediatrician named Luther Emmett Holt. And it was super popular to the point that the U.S. Labor Department actually recruited Dr. Holt to write a mass-produced pamphlet on proper child rearing, oh, which good. was a pamphlet. <laughs> yes, a pamphlet. Back in the days when pamphlets were were cool. Well, that's all there is to parenting. It's well, like a pamphlet worth. Yeah, really, that's all you need. Um, So it was unfortunate, though. That Holt was tasked to write these pamphlets because he was decidedly anti-cuddling. And it was kind of the, um, conflating cuddling with coddling. Um, and, and this even extended to rocking a baby. Holt wrote, by no means should you do that. It's a habit easily acquired and a very useless and sometimes injurious one.
4: Yikes. Yeah. My parents rocked me for a long time. <laughs> Still- so I, I I go home on the weekend. Yeah. and I just I we hop in that rocker and I just I just rock off to sleep. That sounds like a, a real a healthy
3: attachment, there, Caroline. Not not too closely no, attached at all.
4: Nothing nothing is weird about that. Um, and then in 1928, parenting takes a psychological turn with the publishing of Dr. John Watson's Behaviorism Manual: Psychological Care of Infant and Child. And he, I mean, he sounds like a great. Great guy that you'd really want to invite over to your child's birthday party. He wrote, treat them, your children, as though they were young adults. Never hug and kiss them. Never let them sit in your lap. If you must, kiss them once on the forehead when they say goodnight. Shake hands with them in the morning. <laughs> so very, have a very business appropriate relationship with your children.
3: Since I don't have any kids and only have a very old Labrador retriever, I'm just imagining doing, doing that to Buddy. I just kiss him on the forehead and shake his little paw before I leave does in the morning. He, does he shake? Yeah, you can shake. Oh. Yeah, you can, Caroline. Smart, Come on. smart dog. You're a good dog, mom. But then it's in the World War II era when it seems like cuddling starts to take on more gendered meanings in terms of the stereotype that is alive and well today of assuming that guys aren't into cuddling and that cuddling is not a manly, masculine thing to do. Because as we talked about in our Mama's Boys podcast a while back, this was the era of moming and along with uh, the popular psychologists of the day, there was this idea that overmothering was ruining the nation's young men and softening them and making them, you know, too attached to their moms. And the whole, I mean, that extends to uh, representations on screen. You can see it in Psycho and Norman Bates. Yeah. Um, so, and that's also, there are lots of undercurrents of homophobia within right. that as well. Because
4: wasn't it in, like, the 1920s that we start to see the rise of, well, because it's in the wake of psychoanalysis coming around. All these fears of people who don't leave their same-sex tendencies behind. You know, Freud wrote about, oh, well, everyone has an attraction to members of the same sex, but then you leave it behind or else you become anal retentive. So it seems like this is also rising with alongside fears of homosexuality.
3: Yeah, and and I would assume that all of that embedded itself into our cultural views of cuddling as well.
4: Yeah. Well, in the 1950s, we start to get more of a clue that maternal nurture and presumably in with this cuddling is important because we get psychologist Harry Harlow's famous baby monkey experiments at the University of Wisconsin. And for those of you who might not have taken like a psychology 101 class and read about this study, it is so heartbreaking. Tell us about it, Caroline. Well, monkey babies. Um. So basically... He was seeking to find out the whole nature versus nurture argument and whether adoption, children who were adopted, could be happy, healthy and successful, just like children who were biologically born to their families. Um, and so he takes these infant monkeys away from their mothers and puts them either with like a wire structure of a monkey kind of that dispenses milk. Or a milkless wire structure that's covered with soft terry cloth. And he found that despite the fact that neither one was an actual monkey or a mother, um, the monkeys who grew up being able to cling to, cuddle with, and rub on the terry cloth monkey, pseudo monkey, developed more normally. Those who were able to comfort themselves by going and kind of cuddling with this terry cloth structure ended up being a little more normally developed than the monkeys who grew up with the wire structure because they found that when they did tests later, and either scared the monkeys or stressed them out. The ones who grew up with the terry cloth mother reacted in a more healthy way. They might run to the terry cloth structure and kind of cling to it and then be okay. They've helped adjust themselves to the fear or the stress. Whereas the ones that grew up with the wire structure threw themselves down on the floor, screamed, got in the fetal position, rocked back and forth, and they said that it resembled the way that children who are completely neglected or deprived from a young age react to stress and fear. And it's also similar to what they saw among a lot of adults who'd been locked away in um, mental institutions for years. Well, and they found, too, that if given the choice,
3: the monkeys would forego getting fed from the the wire
4: hanger, uh, the d- dispensed milk, and instead go get comforting contact from the terry cloth. Yeah, and he found by following these monkeys for a while, following them down the street, I don't know. by, like by Curious George by, and his friends. Right. By continuing to observe the monkeys, he realized that no amount of later life, cuddling, affection, whatever, could right the path of the monkeys who'd grown up with the wire structure. Well, and that... Need for,
3: innate need for cuddling, uh, in, you know, the primate species will come in later in the episode when we talk about the, the science and evolutionary theories behind why we do this kind of bizarre behavior of rubbing up on each other. <laughs> um, oh, you're a joy to go to a bar with, I guess. <laughs> oh yes, oh yes. Uh, but if we, if we move from parent-child cuddling, that familial cuddling to platonic, friendly, same-sex cuddling, and look at the culture around that and our assumptions, we see that it gets very gendered very fast, too, because it used to be more common when boys and girls were largely socialized separately. This would have been kind of pre-20th century. Boys and girls kind of grew up in their own spheres. And so friendships between Boys and girls were, well, I should say like between boys and boys and girls and girls, uh, would be very intimate. I mean, to the point of a lot of, of, you know, physical contact and intimacy that we think of today in terms of girl friendships, but not so much with boys.
4: Yeah. And I mean, into the early 20th century, emotionally and physically expressive friendships between men were super common and guys would even share beds. Like the, the story that jumps to mind is of course Abraham Lincoln and Joshua Speed sharing a bed. And there's all of these people. People today who look at that out of context and they're like, oh, Lincoln must have been gay. He was a gay. Oh, my God. We're so afraid of him. And it's like, well, OK, a, there's nothing to be afraid of. But B, you've got to look at it in the context of the time when it was super common for men to share beds and then for men to share room. So there might be a bunch of guys sharing a room if they're traveling. Yeah. And, and John Ibsen actually published a whole book
3: of photographic evidence of these physically intimate friendships between men called Picturing Men. Um, and it's incredible to see this comfortable intimacy without that that fear of being perceived as gay. It's this, you know, I mean, it's homophobia free expressions of of genuine love between dudes. And it's really sweet to see guys not just like with their arms around each other, um, but really close, like legs entwined and having <laughs> those formal poses that you might see in like family portraits. But two men with like their arms resting on each other's thighs. And it really it doesn't seem yeah, there was uncomfortable one, at all. Sure.
4: There was one like Civil War era picture where a guy sitting on his buddy's lap posing for the camera. Yeah. You know, like you do. Like you do. There's only one chair. What are you supposed to do?
3: (laughs) But signaling that homophobia may at long last be waning. And my goodness, we certainly hope it is a viral 2014 study among 40 British male student athletes found 37 of them reported cuddling with their bros, even describing the super chill way that they deal with accidental erections. Let's say that the big spoon, you know, they're like bros hanging out, binging on Netflix on the couch. One's the big spoon, and because of contact, you know, he gets an erection. And they told the researchers that they usually deal with it one of two ways, where the little spoon is like, hey, mate. You know, get rid of your erection. Or then the other guy's like, I'm going to go pop to the loo, BRB. And then they just, you know, take care of it. I mean, (laughs) Caroline's laughing, but it's true. (laughs) And it might sound like, (laughs) and listeners, I know that might sound far fetched, but I am (laughs) legitimately recounting what is in this uh, qualitative study. It's a study. But, and it's the study that went viral. The thing is about the study, a very small sample, a study sample, but also judging by the coverage that it got and a lot of uh, leaping to lots of conclusions about how, oh, college boys cuddle each other all of the time um, w- w- is, I don't know, to me a sign that we we maybe aren't so far away from cuddling if we're so amazed at the fact that, you know, uh, athletic jock kind of dudes can touch each other and yeah. it's fine.
4: I mean, th- we talked about this back in the day in our bromance episode, which I encourage you to go listen to if this topic interests you. Um, because, yeah, in that episode, uh, which was a couple of years ago, we talked about trend pieces looking at dudes, bros, guys who were like, yeah, we cuddle. So what? Yeah, we're just buds. We're
3: friends. And um, for guys listening, I don't want to imply that anytime you cuddle, you automatically get an erection. I'm just saying that that was something that was noted in that study. Right. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes it happens. Mind wanders, whatever. But if we look at girlfriends cuddling in this context of what are called romantic friendships, they were and still are super common. I mean, as I was reading about, you know, girls cuddling their girlfriends, I immediately thought of girls, the show. I mean, there are so many scenes of uh Lena and her friends being in bed together, taking baths together. It's very close and physically intimate.
4: Yeah. Like I'll, my two best girlfriends in the world, if we're like on the couch or whatever, we'll totally like throw our legs over each other or whatever without a thought. Like. But then it's the same thing as, as what we talked about at the top of the podcast with like hugging or, you know, who do you cuddle with or who do you want to cuddle with? There is that degree of like super closeness for me that proceeds like, I'm going to throw my legs over your lap and you're just going to deal with it. Listen, you're going to swaddle
3: me and rock me like a baby. You want to be my BFF. Yeah, I have weird weekends. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, but this was really interesting to see in the early 20th century as homophobia starts creeping in. And it is interesting to see for girls and, and female friendships how in the same way that homophobia started creeping into guy friendships, a lot of it being fueled by uh, the rise of psychoanalysis, there was concern about physical intimacy between uh, girl friendships as well Um As marriages for love became the norm, especially once we get into the 1900s and along with the idea of your spouse being a friend, Mm -hmm. um, there were warnings to parents that they should make sure that that their daughters aren't too physically friendly with their girlfriends because that might lead to lesbianism because of our, quote, unbridled libido's. (laughs) (laughs)
4: <laughs> um Yeah, William James uh was writing in the 1870s, I believe, and was discussing how men, you know, just have this natural aversion to wanting to be attracted to their male peers. You know, it's inherent in us, but it's disgusting. And so there's a natural aversion to it, whereas, you know, that natural aversion is not as strong or as common in women. Well, because we're all so pretty. <laughs> you know, we are so, and so soft. Smell so good, but I just I I think it's so funny when you comb back through history and you look at particularly men's view of like women's relationships with or without sexuality involved. But like there there are so many anxieties yeah. that crop up around this time. Well, I mean, and and
3: definitely the rules for. Expressiveness in men's friendships have been far more rigid in modern times because, I mean, even, even though, yes, there was that, that panic over same-sex attraction within girl friendships, still because of the assumption that women are naturally more nurturing, um, cuddling and those kinds of behaviors have still been accepted, though. I mean, you have, You know, girls are probably likelier to have sleepovers where we brush each other's hair. and
4: Oh, my God. Being in elementary school in the library for reading time and like having your best girlfriend just braid your hair. Or you give each other massages. Yeah. Do each other's nails. I wish someone would come braid my hair now. It's like the most soothing. Maybe that's a cure for insomnia. That's probably weird. I don't think my boyfriend would braid my hair. Have you asked? I haven't. You know, it's not not a topic I've broached. Well, speaking of your boyfriend
3: braiding your hair, Caroline, that's the perfect (laughs) segue to talking about opposite sex cuddling, because it's always been this fraught issue because of the sex factor and the whole accidental foreplay factor.
4: Yeah. So if we go back to 18th century colonial America, which, let me tell you, was a laugh riot which was real fun back then. Wintertime courtship might have involved this thing called bundling, which to me in my head, even though I know what it is, I still just picture two people in sleeping bags bumping up against each other. It was kind of like that. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) It was basically trial cuddling for people who were likely on the marriage track. So it's wintertime. It's cold. You don't have central heat and air, God forbid. And so the guy would sleep over at the girl's house in the same bed. And of course, this was more about body heat than lust, per se, although I'm sure that there was a lust undercurrent Lunder current, a Lunder current, a Lunder current. Um, and this was supposed to help see if they were compatible for marriage. But to prevent the sex from happening they might sleep in this bifurcated bundling sack, which, again, like, do they make these at camping stores? Can I get these? Yeah, at ye uh REI. Right. They had the bifurcated bundling sack. Um, I'm sure, like, all with this artisan thing going on, I'm sure, like, Etsy, somebody makes bifurcated bundling <laughs>
3: bags. Do you want to bring
4: back Bundling? yeah bundler it's, yeah it's our new uh it's our tinder app competitor right and and like those apps there's no e r it's just r of course bundle bundler. bundler um so they would be in the sack and or have a bundling board between them, and I'm like, wait, why are you having a board if this is about body heat
3: well, I bet caroline the the lunder tones combined with the body heat would permeate the bundling board which <laughs> listeners a bundling board is exactly what it sounds like it's just it's just a
4: board that they put down the middle of the bed yeah and so i mean at least in this way if those lundertones do overtake you the family would at least know what man was responsible for impregnating their daughter. Yeah, I mean, because it's funny. So
3: this was happening in the context of a premarital pregnancy being on the rise. So this was <laughs> kind of a way for parents to be like, listen, I guess if it's going to happen, we need to know who to marry little Susan off to just in case. The Puritans, though, by the way, were just outraged by this whole bundling trend. Um, But as our sexual mores have loosened up, as we burned our bundling boards, so to speak, much of our heteronormative romantic cuddling discourse really revolves around two major assumptions. That men use cuddling to initiate sex, and that women use cuddling to bond after sex.
4: Yeah, very divided, these Uh assumptions. Yeah, for us it's bonding, for them it's just spreading their seed. Yeah. And so we're going to unravel the gendering of these cuddle preferences when we come right back from a quick break. This episode is brought to you by China.
1: The China brand provides premium disposable tableware to celebrate moments of togetherness.
0: Yes. And right now, that is more important than ever especially when we're all apart. So recently I had a group and we had a a socially distanced barbecue where the host drew out circles and chalk that were six feet apart. And everyone showed up with their own chairs and beverages. And it was really convenient to have disposable products. And we, we just had a, a lovely conversation. Um, it was really fun. Yeah,
1: and I'm, with the disposable products, I know that the China brand provides durable and trusted products, which I have used before that let you enjoy every moment of the get-togethers in traditional or
0: now not. at katana.shop.com/slash-mom, listeners of the podcast get ten percent off the original base game Catan by using the promo code MOM at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. So before we get into the
3: cuddling battle of the sexes <laughs> in quotes, uh, let's talk for a minute about why this behavior permeates our
4: closest relationships because there is some science to this. Yeah, I mean basically it promotes bonding. Uh you get the release of oxytocin, which is that bonding hormone, and it basically co- communicates social information including touch to our brains reward system. It's like, it's like candy. Mm -hmm. It's like eating a delicious chocolate bar. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. it'd be like
3: when, when your boyfriend
4: dog braids your hair,
3: (laughs) your oxytocin would we Are we in our bundling sacks? In your bundling sack. Yes. Your uh, oxytocin in your brain would gather up boyfriend dog, hair braiding, uh, the sense of calm and then deliver that to your brain's reward system. And you'd be like, ooh,
4: I really like that. Right. And so then your stress levels plummet as basically anyone who's had a good old cuddle can attest. A good old cuddle. A good old
3: cuddle. A good old cuddle, good old cuddle puddle. Good solid cuddle.
4: <laughs> so if we look back for a
3: minute at that parent-child cuddling, we start to see this uh, these neurological benefits playing out from the very beginnings of our lives. Because our brains really are wired to enjoy this. Uh, there was a study published in 2009 in Nature Neuroscience, for instance, that located receptors in our skin that transmit pleasant touch sensations. Not limited to cuddling, mm-hmm. but in a way, they're kind of like our cuddle receptors, being
4: like, ooh, I like, I like how this feels. This is nice. I feel safe. Yeah, my boyfriend has strong cuddle receptors, but we'll get into that when we talk more about the gender division. But so speaking of people with strong cuddling receptors, there's this mom from Amsterdam, and Kristen and I both posted this to our social media because it was like kind of funny but also horrifying. Uh, She knitted a full life-size replica of her son. She knitted a suit of of her son uh, because she was like, he doesn't cuddle with me as much anymore now that he's a teen or a tween or whatever, and so you know, I wanted to hold on to those cuddling days, so I knitted a suit of him. Yeah, and it looks
3: super creepy. Well,
4: because he wears it like it's hollow. It's not like she stuffed it with stuffing. I mean, like right. her human son wears it. Okay, but here's the thing. Um, I, I feel a little bad for her because, of
3: course, the story went viral and people freaked out saying, like, you were the creepiest mom on earth. Um, Poor thing. Also, how long did that take? But anyway, uh, it was a joke. She did it you know trying to be funny but of course some things were lost in translation right. and people just saw cuddling sun and then this this kind of disturbing replica yeah
4: bless her heart it it, it is a horrifying it's a horrifying creation. It's, it's a little creepy. And I totally dig the sense of humor, though. Yeah. But if you really just literally do see the picture and the quote about like, I miss cuddling my son, like because I know on, when I posted it to our Tumblr, people were like, oh, my God, this woman needs help. Yeah. Yeah, but there is some science to
3: back up that desire, her desire to cuddle her son. Because I think that is legit sure. because when we did post it to the Stuff Mom Never Told You Facebook page, a few moms commented saying, I know exactly what she's talking about because it's in our DNA. A 2006 study found, quote, a maternal predisposition toward touch Significantly predicted babies touch receptivity. And another study found twins tend to have comparable cuddle levels. So, I mean, it seems like if you if you are like this lady and you really like to, you know, cuddle and that's one of your love languages, you might say. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. One of the ways that you bond, then. um, Uh, Then, yeah, maybe you maybe you do knit a, a life size replica of your child.
4: Sure. Yeah. If you're into that, I bet she's a hugger, too. Oh, yeah. But I thought it was interesting in that slate piece when David Merritt Johns was talking about the sex difference between male and female babies cuddle receptivity. He says that it's basically when he was speaking with temperament experts, but he said it was basically the same no matter the sex of the child. It's just that some babies, male or female aren't as down for super cuddling as others. Some are total snuggle babies and others are like, oh, I'm going to go stiff as a board. Please put me down. Yeah, it's about 15% are kind of like cats, you know, (laughs) if you you
3: try to cuddle a cat and it's like, oh, get me out of here. Um, And oh, man, I love trying to cuddle a cat because it's just
4: fun challenge. Some are down. Before we came into the studio, I was just talking to Holly from History Stuff about kitties and she was like because i told her how much i wanted a dog and she was like well you know you should get a cat and i was like well if i could guarantee that it would be a cuddly dog like cat i would totally get one but you never know well listeners if you know of uh, any good dog like cats caroline could cuddle let us know and please send pictures yeah i'll rent it like i mean i I can't have a pet right now but like i'll absolutely rent it from you (laughs) Rent a kitty.
3: Um, so if we look, though, at friendly cuddling, that same sex platonic cuddling that we talked about a little while ago, scientists think that it might be our primate version of grooming each other. So, yeah. Caroline, I'm not going to come up to you and like dig through your hair and look for uh, fleas or or, <laughs> or bugs or things like that. Thank you. You're welcome. As much <laughs> as I want to. Um, But they think that, you know, our cuddling behavior is related to that. I mean, think of how, you know, girlfriends will hold hands, will link arms. We, I mean, I might brush your hair and then, and then secretly try to see if you have any, any (laughs) fleas in your hair.
4: (laughs) So that you know to bolt if you see one. Well, didn't these researchers also say that they thought that not only was the primate, you know, tick searching or flea searching and grooming a, Precursor to our cuddling, but that it was also a precursor to like gossip circles. Yes. It's a way to spend time with people you love and care about in like an intimate way. Um, and then, you know, once we actually gain the ability to talk and say human words, uh, then we're just talking smack about the cave women next to us. I think about this too. Whenever, um, I
3: groom my dog now, <laughs> you guys tell each other secret. Yes. He tells me all of his secrets and I <laughs> brush out his old fur.
4: aww, you know, it's a good way to spend time together and gossip about the other dogs at your at your apartment complex. He is always talking smack about my fiancé.
3: <laughs> Let me just tell you. Oh, man. <laughs> um, but when it comes to romantic cuddling, the cuddling that's the, that's the most controversial, the most fraught with stereotypes, evolutionary theory explains post-coital cuddling motivated by women wanting to make sure that the dude who might have just impregnated her is going to stick around. And you got to love some always heteronormative and predictable uh, evolutionary theory, um, because on the flip side, they maintain that men might be more inclined to engage in more hedonic activities, like pleasure-seeking activities, like having a smoke, eating, or having sex again, rather than wanting to <laughs> cuddle, because guys are just about that. About that pleasure
4: center. All about that base. Um, which great, that's gonna be in my head forever now. Um, but biologically, researchers say cuddling also boosts sexual attraction because it's linked to an increase in testosterone, which might also explain how cuddling does double duty as both foreplay and postcoital relaxing. And there was this study in the archives of sexual behavior that we looked at that discussed how couples who partake in post-sex cuddling felt more satisfied with their sex lives, but also their relationships in general. And they found that it mattered. Cuddling mattered more than the foreplay or the duration of the actual intercourse, uh, because our brains look at it as a positive post-sex reward. And I can only imagine that no matter male or female, if you do have those stronger like touch reward receptors that, It's even better. But what's what I loved is that they found that it's not just post-coital, like I feel so rewarded, so fulfilled. I'm so happy with my partner. But also the effects lasted for a long time, like months. Yeah, I mean, and and
3: even isolated uh, outside of sex, just cuddling on its own when you're laying on the couch (laughs) binge watching Netflix yet again. It can be, you know, a bonding activity for couples, not surprisingly. And there's research to back it up. So, I mean, it's just funny in looking up uh, research for this podcast, how the media really love to make like sweeping generalizations about Cuddling, um, in terms of, oh, science finally proves that couples who cuddle are better than everyone else, or science proves that men love cuddling and women actually loathe it. And we've kind of concocted because of a, a lot of our sort of misinterpretation of studies, um, and, and assumptions, uh, that there is this cuddling war going on it's this (laughs) battle of the sexes almost the
4: most adorable war ever
3: (laughs) the softest i care bears just hitting each other with pillows yeah exactly um because the assumption that most men don't like cuddling is based far more on gender norms than hardwiring all of that neuroscience we've just been talking about for instance in 1976 Scientist Mark Hollander at Vanderbilt studied gender differences in cuddling on the basis going into this study. Uh, Hollander assumed that, quote, according to our prevailing viewpoint, it's unmanly to want to be held or cuddled. Only
4: women are permitted or encouraged to express such feminine wishes. Yeah, but when you look at statistics, which we so love to do, there isn't really a huge difference in how much... All dudes and all ladies like to cuddle.
3: Yeah, as much as a headline every other month will claim <laughs> that, oh yeah, women really do love to cuddle. No, 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 wait. It's actually guys who love to cuddle more than women. No, it's, it's kind of... It kind of breaks even, sort of like the sex differences in babies where it's like, you know, we just have a subset where they're, they're just the cats, <laughs> the, the cats of the world who don't want
4: to be cuddled. Right. There was this 2011 Kinsey Institute study on older long-term couples that found a slightly stronger 12% versus 9% relationship between cuddling and kissing and relationship satisfaction among men. Of course, there's all sorts of things you have to take into account, including like who in this long-term study has dropped out due to divorce, like maybe all you're left with is the people who genuinely just love spending time together. Well, and the chicken egg too,
3: of which comes first, the relationship satisfaction or right. the cuddling and kissing behavior. But the way that 3% edge was interpreted in headlines across the Internet was men love cuddling. They love it way more than women, so much more than women.
4: And I feel like if you just ask humans about cuddling, it's like we've been saying the past couple of minutes that it's literally like, yeah, you've got some people who like it and some people who don't. And some people like me who really hated it and weren't really down with it until they met their person. Okay? Exactly. Yeah. Um,
3: but there is an interesting link too between cuddling and attachment styles that we talked about. Um, earlier in the podcast, a 2014 study examining attachment style and both cuddling among parent-child relationships and romantic relationships did find that women overall reported more positive feelings about cuddling, but... The researchers weren't entirely sure why.
4: Well, here's the thing. I mean, so as we mentioned at the top of the podcast, you've got the spectrum of attachment styles, everything from avoidant attachment, which is like, Oh, I love you, but like, I'm going to keep an arm out, uh, to secure attachment, which is you're well adjusted. You like cuddling. You're not going to spend 24 hours a day with your person but you love them, whatever, all the way to the anxious attachment, which is fear of abandonment. It's I've got to cuddle you because you might leave me like I've got to cuddle you because it makes me feel better. It's a self-soothing behavior. And as I was reading this, I was like, oh, okay. because although my boyfriend and I are sort of each at the middle of the spectrum in terms of attachment styles, I would say that I am. I don't, I don't know, left of center in terms of the avoidant attachment style. And he's a little bit right of center in terms of the anxious attachment style. Although we are obviously very secure with each other and in love and all that gross stuff. But I think that that sort of helps encapsulate our individual relationship with cuddling, where I came into it being like, "Eh," and he just, I mean, that boy wants to cuddle all the time. Mm -hmm. But a notable thing about that study on attachment style and cuddling
3: was that avoidantly attached people, were not down to cuddle. They found like there was a strong relationship between, you know, not being into it and being avoidantly attached. Whereas you would assume that anxiously attached people would want to cuddle all the time, mm-hmm. but researchers um m- like to their surprise
4: did not find a relationship. Yeah, there. wasn't it was a much weaker link yeah. between the anxiously attached style mm-hmm. and cuddling. So it could just be that my boyfriend just like likes to cuddle. Well, I mean, I wonder if that speaks so to the universality
3: of cuddling Yeah, where, I mean, it is such a, such a common behavior that it's not really much of an outlier for someone to like to, to cuddle.
4: Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm definitely a convert, you know, like my boyfriend had been, um, Basically like out of town for two weeks and I went over to his house last night and we just lay on the couch and like silently just cuddled for a long time. It was a way to reconnect. It's that it's that oxytocin, those good bonding chemicals. You got to get that oxytocin refilled sometimes. Yeah. And you know what? I was the big spoon. Oh, yeah.
3: That's really sweet because your boyfriend is super tall. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I just love cuddling up to that butt. Yeah. (laughs) But even in hookup contexts, there isn't a huge gender gap either. And I was thrilled to see this studied because I feel like this is where the cuddling stereotypes totally come out. At least, um, anecdotally in, in conversations I've had with my girlfriends about hookups. Um, Binghamton University's Justin Garcia, um, did a survey and found that 52% of dudes and 61% of women Wanted to snuggle post hookup. So yeah, more women, but still a lot of dudes. Meanwhile, in committed relationships, there was no difference at all. 97% of all the people wanted to cuddle and liked doing it. Um, so that said to me, like we are maybe making up some of these stereotypes. Obviously there are some. Some differences, but they are narrower than we probably assume or tend to read into.
4: Well, uh, it's all of the crap about gender norms. It's almost like we want to believe it. It's funny. It's like it's funny to believe that a man who likes to cuddle is feminine or weak or whatever or like Mercy smother you clingy. Yeah, all of that junk. And that, you know, a woman who doesn't like to cuddle is, uh, you know, a tramp who's gonna leave you. She's so tough. She's so tough. She doesn't even need to cuddle. So independent. This episode
1: is brought to you by Quip. When's the last time you got rewarded for brushing your teeth? With Quip's new smart electric toothbrush, good habits can earn you great perks like free products, gift cards, and more.
0: The Quip Smart Brush for adults and kids connects to the Quip app with Bluetooth, So you can track when you're brushing, get tips, you can earn points, and you can redeem those points for rewards. Already have a Quip?
1: Upgrade it with a smart motor and keep the features you know and love. And beyond the brush, Quip has everything you need to build a complete routine. Equal-friendly solar battery charger to power your Quip with sunshine. And the refresh bag to bring you good oral care habits everywhere you go.
0: Plus, you can get brush head, toothpaste, and floss refills delivered from $5. And shipping is free. How smart is that? Start
1: getting rewards for brushing your teeth today and go to getquip.com slash stuffmom right now to get your first refill free. That is your first refill free at getquip.com slash stuffmom. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash stuffmom. Quip,
0: better oral health made simple and rewarding. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Get started today at betterhelp.com slash momstuff. That's better. H e l p dot com slash momstuff. Talk to a therapist online and get help. Um, in
3: straight long-term couple context, because uh PS, there is zero
4: research, at least that we found on same-sex snuggling. So researchers, hop to it. Well, same-sex romantic yes. relationships, not same sex. Platonic friends, specifically uh, <laughs> British college jocks, <laughs> um,
3: but in the straight long-term couple contexts, cuddling is mutually beneficial related to healthy, satisfied relationships whether it's used to initiate sex or not. And that's something, Caroline, that you talked about in that study where it's like whether we're doing it before sex, after sex or just on a random evening when you haven't seen each other in a long time. Oh. Cuddling can be good for you. And it makes a lot of sense because of the, you know, the physiological effects of it.
4: Well, you mentioned that there's little to no research among same-sex romantic relationships and cuddling. But this is also an area where we could use more research for the asexual community. You know, we've we've gotten a lot of letters in recent months from members of the asexual and aromantic community who, you know, obviously want to hear themselves represented in media and in research. And there's really nothing out there about them either. Yeah. I mean, they have a lot of kind of
3: crowdsourced resources and um I looked in that for thoughts on cuddling because there are people within, you know, the asexuality spectrum who are totally down to snuggle and really love snuggling and cuddling and spooning, but just don't desire any sexual contact beyond that. And so there are, you know, lots of questions at that point uh, for, you know, for their partners how do they, you know, make sure that that's not misleading in any kind of way? Um And is it mutually satisfying? And uh, so, I would love to hear from any uh, asexual or aromantic listeners about the cuddling issue too. And a word about context. And you hinted at this, Caroline, a second ago when you said that you are a cuddling convert because. I mean, I think how much someone likes cuddling in the moment when you ask them, like, do you enjoy cuddling? depends a lot on the circumstances around it. Mm -hmm. Are you tired? Is it super hot in the room? Are you not really like into that person who's next to you for whatever reason? You know, sometimes you just want to sleep on your stomach with a pillow over your head and call it a day. Yes, I do. My name is Kristen.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I even within my relationship, there are obviously times that I'm like, get away from me especially when it's time to sleep like I'm fine cuddling up before we go to sleep but when it's time for lights out like get off me don't touch me although of course it's freezing in my boyfriend's house all the time (laughs) so sometimes we'll do the thing and this is probably TMI but we'll like fall asleep kind of snuggled up because we're freezing and then wake up in the middle of the night drenched (laughs) I know that feeling well (laughs) sorry for grossing anyone out but I mean if you don't have a super cuddler like my boyfriend, which you better not, uh, there are other cuddling opportunities out there. Okay. Yes.
3: This brings us to the strangest wrinkle in this cuddle puddle. <laughs> More people these days are cuddling with perfect strangers. Like Balky? <laughs> yes, where people are cuddling balky. Um, and here's the thing. While it scientifically makes sense that we crave pleasant touch and its physiological effects, it does not make any socio-scientific sense to cuddle with a stranger because it kind of violates so many norms mm-hmm. and, uh, it is perplexing to a lot of researchers um, because I mean, even, even for me as someone who is um, more of a non hugger than a, than a hugger, the idea of just meeting someone in a park and laying down and then having their, you know, body odor and, and hot breath so close to me and not knowing them makes my skin crawl. Cause it just seems so, it seems very unsafe <laughs> to me. Um, <sighs> But there is an app for that. If you are a cuddler, and there are a lot of colors out there... Wait,
4: has someone already made Bundler?
3: No one's made Bundler. We can still oh, make Bundler.
4: okay, okay,
3: okay. <laughs> and our bifurcated bundle bags. <laughs> uh, trademarked Sminty, of course. Sold separately. Yes. Um, but there is an app formerly known as Cuddler. Uh, it's called Spooner, and it geolocates people around you who are down for a cuddle.
4: Yeah, this sounded like whoa danger zone to me, because just... You know, dating websites can be sketch in general or websites, apps. I don't know. I'm old. Hello. Um, Anything in the outside world. Yeah. Things that are outside of my comfort zone, i.e. the podcast studio. (laughs) Um, but Charlie Williams, who's the founder of Spooner, told Salon that I think as a culture, we're ready to consider cuddling as more than just something that happens before or after sex, but as something worth pursuing in its own right. Cuddling takes communication, respect for boundaries, and self-control. And he's telling them all about how, like, no, it's totally fine, it's totally safe, like, it helps you, and even in your personal life, work on your communication skills about what you want, what you don't want. And this is not about sex. This is not meeting to pick people up for sex. This is literally for cuddling. And hey, if people like hit it off and want to date after, like cool, that's fine. But I was reading this like, there's no way that is so like murder central in my brain. And, and I know a lot of people out there are, we just got really offended. I'm, I'm, I am sorry. That's just me personally being totally afraid to cuddle with strangers.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah. You and I have similar, I think, personal cuddle boundaries. Yeah, I mean, in that if
4: sense. I don't even like shaking hands and <laughs> you don't want a sweaty cuddle, I don't like a cuddle. full body sweaty. Cuddle? I have when I was in high school, um, like a bunch of friends and I used to have like we'd all be hanging out at night or whatever. And we used to have um Basically the conga line equivalent of cuddling. Like, like so a massage line? There'd be like 15 or 20 of us like lying down just spooning. It was hysterical. Maybe some alcohol was involved. Ooh, it's a smelly cuddle.
3: <laughs> um, when I, I don't have her name in front of me, but a writer over at Daily Dot tested out the spooner app and one of her main complaints in terms of safety was that you can't, um, select by gender. So if you want a same sex cuddle cuz mm-hmm. that might make you feel safer. Yeah. Um Spooner doesn't let you do that because Williams thinks that, you know, it should be because Williams thinks that it shouldn't be a sexual thing. But in her experience, the people who are messaging her were almost exclusively dudes who seemed to want uh
5: well he-
4: who yeah. are the, uh, a sexy time cuddlers? Hello, have you been on the internet? Yeah. Yes, that yeah. is how those things are going to work. Sorry, Charlie Williams and your, like, <laughs> utopian view of cuddling apps. Literally, sorry, Charlie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wonder, though, if there are any listeners
3: who have tried Spooner, please tell us. If it goes better than it seems
4: like it might. This is why the world needs Bundler, Kristen. <laughs> we would ensure that there was a gender selection.
3: But would it only be for proper courtship?
4: I don't know. I haven't thought that far. Ahead. We, gotta
3: work we haven't out. we haven't developed our business plan yet. <laughs> um but if you want to cuddle in a safer context, you can go to a cuddle party. Cuddle parties exist and they are organized by groups around the country like Minnesota's Nurture Yourself. Um and these started in the early 2000s and usually if you go to a cuddle party it's exactly what it sounds like. It's kind of like Caroline's high school experience minus the booze. <laughs> You're not allowed to go drunk. Um but you wear PJs, <laughs> a lot of uh Cuddle party rules ask that you don't eat garlic beforehand. Smart. Smart. Very smart. And I will give them this. There are a lot of rules around consent.
4: Yeah. 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 They make sure to set it up ahead of time that, you know, no means no respect everybody's boundaries, all of that stuff, which is incredibly important in any context. But I
3: especially appreciated how nurture yourself noted that crying and giggling are encouraged. At their cuddle <laughs> parties. Uh, um And ugh. it's exactly what it sounds like. I mean, you kind of, you start off with sort of a, a group orientation and then gradually it evolves into a one giant cuddle puddle. Yeah, and people are making money off of this. People are. There are professional cuddlers out there. And no, we're not talking about some Japanese trend that has probably been misinterpreted in American media. We're talking about in the United States, professional cuddlers have opened up shop. And this was reported on in the Wall Street Journal, which I especially appreciated. I
4: love m- picturing my father. Picking up the Wall Street Journal, which he gets in the mail. And reading an article about professional cuddlers, I imagine he just clears his throat very uncomfortably, puts the paper down and makes a sandwich. But it's a serious business. These professional cuddlers will charge clients
3: for non-sexual snuggles. Obviously, the number one thing that these professionals have to combat are perceptions that it is uh, a form of prostitution, essentially, or sex work. Um, But business names include Cuddle Up To Me, The Snuggery. And cuddle therapy. And I think cuddle therapy was one of the original ones open, not surprisingly, in San Francisco.
4: And I mean, obviously, it is easy to laugh and dismiss this kind of stuff. But they also talked to a woman named Samantha Hess, who opened up Portland's Cuddle Up to Me. And she specializes in cuddles for people who've experienced trauma, people with autism. And she says that she regularly sees people with disabilities and disfigurements who just In a very human nature way, just need that human contact. Yeah. I mean, in that way, it's, um,
3: it makes sense that these businesses exist and that, and that clients seek them out for, for non sexual purposes. Just, I think it was, it was her talking about how, you know, a lot of these people just want to feel special and loved for a moment um, and she's actually developed an entire curriculum of various types of cuddles that clients can come in huh. and select. Um, I think there are lots of elderly patients or clients, I should say, as well
4: because they live in such isolation. Yeah, human touch is so important. it is. I'm a total convert. yeah. To to professional cuddling? No. Oh, uh, not for me Uh personally. But no, I'm a I'm a convert since I started dating my boyfriend. A convert general cuddling.
3: Well, now I'm curious to know about our listeners. Are you into cuddling? Do you have any thoughts about cuddling? Have you ever been to a cuddle party? We want to know all of your cuddling thoughts. And guys, do you ever encounter those bogus gender stereotypes? If you're a dude who likes to cuddle, has it ever backfired on you? MomStuff at is our mailing address. You can also tweet us at MomStuffPodcast or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you when we come right back from a quick break. Caroline, I'm in the process of giving my personal site, com a makeover thanks to Squarespace. And I can tell you firsthand that it is super easy to use intuitive and they have fantastic design aesthetics so my new
4: site is gonna look real nice it's just pictures of beyonce though right pretty much yeah basically um so regardless of what celebrity you put on your personal website when you use squarespace it's going to look professionally designed regardless of skill level and there's no coding required they've got intuitive and easy to use tools and you get a free domain if you sign up for a year. But, folks, that means that KristenConger.com is taken. Ah,
3: shoot. So don't even try. But to start your free trial today, head on over to Squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure you use our offer code MOMSTUFF to get 10% off your
4: first purchase. Squarespace, you should. And now back to the show. Well, I have a letter here from Michelle in response to our episode on wrinkles. She says, Hello, I've been listening for a long time, but I'm writing in for the first time now. I just listened to your episode on wrinkles, and something you mentioned sounded exactly like what I've been told in real life. You talked about a study where older women are judged to look angry and unapproachable because of their sagging skin. Those exact same words, angry and unapproachable, were thrown at me in a job evaluation a couple years ago. I'm fairly young and don't have wrinkles yet, but do have resting bitch face. I'm already hyper conscious of what my face is doing at all times now thanks to that evaluation and am terrified now of what's going to happen when I start getting wrinkles. Will I be judged to be even angrier and more unapproachable than I am now? Will I live alone forever with my cat because other humans don't think I'm pleasant enough? The the connection between resting bitch face and wrinkles is one I hadn't made before. Men are allowed to have normal resting faces in age, while women are not. At the same time, a male co-worker that had what I would call a resting angry face and I were talking about our evaluations. I told him that I was called angry. He said that he was simply told to work on his communication skills. It's enough to make my mood reflect what my face is apparently already showing. Here's to hoping that society changes enough by the time I start getting wrinkles to keep me from being friendless forever. I know you've done a video on Resting Bitch Face, but if you ever do a whole podcast, I'll certainly be interested. Thank you for all the work you do. Well, thank you, Michelle, and I'm sorry about your evaluation at work. That's a fantastic idea. We should so
3: do a Resting Bitch Face episode. Uh, so, I've got a letter here from Janice about our Street Art Sisterhood podcast, and she writes, While I'm not a street artist, I am a professional visual artist. About three years ago, I took a deep breath scrapped the serving job i had and went into business for myself full-time as an artist since then i've been really working to build my portfolio and get into galleries and such here in the austin area while surviving off of commissions and a part-time job at a local art store thanks to the internet i'm now able to reach an audience that allows me to actually do this but it also gives me a mask to wear and it sometimes gives me some interesting insights into how artists are viewed One such insight I've gleaned is that people almost always assume that I'm male. I'm almost without fail referred to as a he, even though my name is Janice, and a lot of people find me through my website. Here's a real insight, though, for myself. I learned early on that the mask of anonymity can actually help me get a better sale. I'm not sure why, but when people find out I'm female, they seem to want to haggle with the price more. Not sure if everyone else's experiences, but it seems that people think the work of women is somehow diminished versus the work of a male counterpart. I've only been listening to your podcast for about a month, and I'm so excited to have found you. And I listen to you now all the time while I'm painting and creating. Thank you so much for the really interesting topics and a more female viewpoint. A lot of podcasts have resonated with me a great deal and I'm excited to go back through all of the interesting topics. So thank you, Janice. And for other visual artists um, out there listening, I'm curious if you found a similar thing in terms of people wanting to haggle more with you and talk your price down once they find out that you are a lady creator. Let us know. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. And for links to all of our social media, Media, as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts with our sources, so you can learn more about the science of cuddling. Head on over to Stuff Mom Never Told You.com.
5: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. If you crack open an American history book, it's sure to be filled with founding fathers, bloody wars, and the inventions that brought this country to the industrial age. But there's a whole other world that waits for us in the shadows. Tales of unlikely heroes, world-changing tragedies, and legends that are unique to this country's spirit. So join me, Lauren Vogelbaum, for a tour of American history unlike any other, through a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Aaron Menke's Grim and Mild. Get ready for American Shadows. Listen to American Shadows on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Allie Wentworth. How do I grow a teenager in a pandemic? Well, that's exactly what I want to find out. In my new podcast, Go Ask Allie, I'm asking experts to help me answer that question. For example, are quarantine teenage girls more apt to Instagram nude photos? Are they somehow going to end up on the dark web? Are teenagers getting ripped off by their new virtual education? And how do we deal with their overwhelming anxiety and uncertainty? And are they losing empathy? I'll be talking to experts and friends like my friend, Brooke Shields. She'll reveal how her complicated sexual upbringing has influenced how she is as a mother to teenage girls. It's a new world and how we raise these young humans in it determine our future. So let's share some real experiences. With all new episodes releasing every other Thursday. Listen to Go Ask Alley on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.